This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Welcome back to our Pastor to Pastor podcast. We're continuing to look at different passages of Scripture to do some exegesis on uh, different passages in the New Testament that are going to help us lay a good theological foundation for an answer to this question, what is the gospel? And so today uh, we're going to get into Galatians chapter 3. Uh, where ironically enough, in part at least, we're going to look at some of the things that um, basically the gospel is not, right? Some ways in which we can counterfeit the gospel or uh, actually uh, change the gospel in such a way that it becomes not the gospel anymore. And so, uh, as always, I'm here with uh, Adam Hughes. And so, uh, Adam, uh, it's good to gather with you today. So, I I think maybe the way I can start is maybe I'll just read for us from Galatians 3, 1 through 5, and then you can kind of help us think through some of the implications uh, that we find from this passage of Scripture. So, let me just go ahead and jump in, and I'll read Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Paul starts with not a compliment to the Galatians. He says, "'O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?' before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as having been crucified. I want only to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be made complete by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things for nothing, if indeed also it was for nothing? Therefore, does the one who gives you the Spirit and who works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So, Adam, what are some things that maybe we learned from this passage that will help us flesh out sort of a good theology of the gospel, if you will? Yeah, and and I don't know how far we want to go with this, Charlie, but we do have to delve in a little bit to what is Paul on about in this letter to Galatians, what's occurred here. And so, Right, in a Cliff Notes version, we, we understand that, that Paul preached the gospel to this church, however we understand the letter, if it's a circular letter and all those mm-hmm. things. But regardless, this group of believers Paul preached the gospel to, it's clear that a group of them believed what he said, became followers of Christ Jesus. And then after Paul's departure, sometimes something, something went wrong. And perhaps through false teachers, adding on to the gospel seems to be that there is a main, major issue of adding circumcision uh, to uh, the need, the, the, the circumcision or the law to the gospel for the need to be right with God. And so this really just messed up their understanding, messed up their faith, and they began to uh, operate as a church or believers in a way that Paul perhaps never thought the thought they would. And so clearly the issue here is something has been added to the gospel in such a way where Paul's concerned enough about it to where he believes that it's actually taking away from the gospel, or perhaps it's even uh, causing it to be another gospel, which in chapter one, Paul says is actually not another, another. It's no gospel at all. Yeah. I use this example in teaching hermeneutics all the time. If you look at the general structure of Paul's letters, he tends to start out with a thanksgiving close to the beginning of his letters, right? And so I use Galatians and 1 Thessalonians as, a, as an example in contrasting of sort of the tone of Paul's letters. If you read 1 Thessalonians, you've got all of this, I'm so thankful for you guys, and word of your faith was resounding out to all the rest of the area, and, and, and all this thanksgiving and all this love for them. And so you look at Galatians and you ask the question, 
where's the Thanksgiving section in the book of Galatians? Yeah, really not there. Well, and in one six, Paul just says, "I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning away from the one who called you by the grace of God." Um, and, and, he, and he says in verse 7 uh, that they've turned to a different gospel, not that there is a different gospel, except that there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to s- distort the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to make these astounding claims. You even saw this in Galatians 3, right? You foolish Galatians. And so 1 Thessalonians and Galatians provide these contrast in tone, wherein one, Paul is just effusive in his praise for the Thessalonians. And in Galatians, it's such a serious issue uh, you, you've got some some serious, uh, heavy rhetoric in Galatians all the way to, you know, these people who, who are, are so concerned about circumcision, I wish they'd just go, uh, go the whole way and emasculate themselves, essentially. Um, and so, so, yeah, I think it's helpful for you to set the context of the whole book of Galatians and that Paul is making it evidently clear this is a serious issue, not one to be to be dealt lightly with. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's other places, other books that we can think of where Paul is pretty direct and maybe terse, but it just seems like Galatians may be his most stern or terse of all his epistles. It just seems like that with some language he uses. And like you said, he jumps right in there. And so can I frame the problem like this? It seems like Paul is addressing the problem of beginning by faith starting by faith, and then, if you will, moving to the law or works of the law, as he's talking about here, to complete their faith. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be, if we could summarize it as it relates to the gospel, what Paul is talking about as a problem. I actually think, I think you and I agree on this, you were just mentioning this, I I think that probably Galatians is written just pre-Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, so Mm -hmm. maybe Acts 15, Charlie gives us a little bit more context and help to know exactly what's going on and how we should frame this and think about this in light of the gospel and the importance of the gospel? Yeah, so if you look at Acts 15, 1, it says that some men had come down from Judea and began preaching to the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul would even talk about in Galatians, these people who've come from Jerusalem claiming to be from James. And so this whole debate over the Jerusalem Council is sort of this role of circumcision, right? And so uh, this is something, again, we come back again to over and over again to un- needing to understand the Old Testament because most people today aren't that concerned about whether or not somebody's circumcised, right? But we can understand from a J- Jewish person living in the first century how this is a, a live issue, right? You, you have this necessity of circumcision. You really actually were supposed to be circumcised under the Old Testament law. Um, and very severely so. You've got this story of, of um, uh, Moses, for example, and the circumcision of his, his son. And, and so um, now you have the church in the New Testament basically saying these Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. So how, how do you reconcile that as part of the issue in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, and I think in, in the book of Galatians as well. So can I just take a moment with all that in mind, with all that context, and you reading this passage, and just kind of connect the dots here for us as it relates to the gospel, uh, recognizing a counterfeit gospel, and why that matters for our moving into a theology of the gospel. So just connecting the dots here, going back to how we said Paul began. Well, even if you look at this passage, you know, he begins with, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And, and he begins to talk about the problems they have, but if we connect that to how he started the book so directly and tersely, and then in that passage of verses six through ten in Romans uh, in, in Galatians chapter one, which you were referring to, he uh, he says, you know, uh, turning to a different gospel, 
there's not another gospel. It's only that the, there are some that are that are wanting to disturb you and and distort or 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 uh, adulterate the gospel, turn it into something it's not. And then he goes on to make these statements of anathema, cursed is anyone who preaches a gospel other than what we preach to you. If uh, he says, if we should preach to a gospel other than what we preach, let or us be cursed. An angel, an angel from right, heaven, yeah. let him be accursed. And so, look, Paul seems to be saying. If I can say it this way, here's, the, here's where I want to get. There is a version, and I'm doing air quotes. I know you can't see me. I'm doing air quotes. There's a version of the gospel that Paul is saying has had certain things so attached to the gospel, which is by faith, by grace through faith in Christ, so attached to that that it actually makes it something that's not another. It's, it's so distorts that it's no gospel at all that if someone were to preach that and you were to believe in that, you're not believing in the gospel of God and therefore the one that preached it should be a curse, should be anathematized. So the question I think for us becomes right here, it seems like there is a true gospel, there's something that's not a true gospel and there can be some, there can be some close overlap there. So I think just practically, Charlie, we do need to ask the question, at what point does something get so closely attached to God's grace through faith in Christ, that it actually becomes no gospel at all to where the application of Galatians would be applied anathema. Yeah. So, so for instance, let me just ask a couple questions here, and I think we can think about this. I'm not picking on them, but, but obviously you have like Presbyterians that, that believe in the baptism of infants. So would we look at those and would we apply what Paul seems to be writing about the gospel in Galatians to them and say, well, that's not, that, therefore it becomes no gospel at all. Is that, or is, that, is that an issue that relates to what we're reading here? So, so if you look at Acts chapter 15, you see that these, these uh, we would call them false teachers, I guess, are saying, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. And then back to Galatians chapter 3, you know, Paul is saying, having begun by the Spirit, you're now be, trying to be made complete by the flesh. Um, these kinds of things, right? And so I think there, the, one of the differences is, maybe another way to ask this question is, is baptism a gospel issue? Right? right. Maybe we could say it that way. And I think this is why it's so important to consider these things carefully, because we all would say baptism, baptism is very important. But the difference there is, are our Presbyterian brothers saying you cannot be saved unless you're baptized in this way? Right. I think that's a very important it, distinction. Distinction, right. So that we would look at... Um, a, a Presbyterian, and we would say, I mean, I don't think they'd find this offensive because they'd say we're wrong too, right? But we would say to them, you're wrong. But we would also look at them and say, we consider you, be, you to be brothers. We may not, we'd have problem being in the same church together, right? But we're not anathematizing them to use the language of Galatians chapter one. Now, that's different than somebody who says, for example, Unless you are baptized in X way, you cannot be saved. And that, and that would come down to lots of different things, right? So unless you're baptized by this tradition or by a pastor ordained in this tradition, or unless you, I mean, maybe even things like speak in tongues after your conversion, you know, you can't be saved. That's different than us having a disagreement on the nature of baptism. That's different than saying you have to do this in order to be saved. And I, I agree with you 100%. I think that is an important distinction, and I think that's a fair application of what Paul is writing here. It's when the thing, 
whatever it is, the added thing actually is attached to the gospel or so associated with the gospel so closely that it actually becomes a part of the effect or process of salvation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is this is where I think we have to pause and just say for a moment, again, the, the, the things that we do can show whether or not we're trusting in Christ. So I would look at somebody for, who's never been baptized, for example, and I might eventually look at them and say, hey, man, what Have are you, you what really are you trusted doing? Christ? Right, like, and even, like, I've dealt with people who were scared of the water, honestly, and, like, in a weird way, not weird, uh, in a way, them being baptized as an act of faith just in, okay, I'm going to do this, even though, like, I'm, like, physically terrified. So I would look at somebody who has been a believer for, for decades and never been baptized. I'd look at them and I'd be like, man, what's going on here, right? Are you really trusting in Christ? Are you really walking in obedience to his commands. But again, I do think that is different than saying, I'm not saying to them, you cannot be saved because you haven't done this. I'm saying to them, I'm looking at your life and it doesn't seem to demonstrate the fruit of the spirit in your life. It may sound subtle, but I think the importance of the, the, the distinction is actually tremendously important. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Look, I, I again, um, you know, Paul's going to point out, right, the fruit of the Spirit and the evidence of salvation, but he does make a distinction even in his writing of the difference between the, the evidence of salvation and the nature of salvation or being redeemed. So, Charlie, you asked me to kind of talk with us through and lead us through verses 1 through 5, so maybe I can put a bow on it this way. As we've talked about the context, we've talked about what Paul has said, we've talked about uh, the significance of that for redemption and as that relates to issues today— but maybe so that we can later set up the theological discussion we'll have, what we can say from what we read in verses 1 through 5 and what we see in the context of Galatians and maybe borrowing from the context of Acts 5 as well as this, there does seem to be that which is... There there is a distinction of that which is the gospel and that which is not the gospel. Mm -hmm. There is... There is a true gospel. Let me say it another way. There is that which is a false gospel. Therefore, there is that which is the tenets of the true gospel. And so I do think that is important to, say, to see that Paul is pointing out to this, particular, to this particular church or group of believers. Yeah, and it's very important for us to know the difference because usually in a false gospel, you don't just come in and proclaim. I mean, it's to be a little bit silly here. You know, false gospels aren't usually somebody proclaiming, you know, Satan's the Messiah, not Jesus or something along those lines, but it's much more subtle than that, right? And, and so you have in these, these people in Galatians and Acts 15, you have people who are proclaiming a lot of things that are either some of which are true or some of which just sound true because they're using the same terminology, but the distinction really matters. So let, let's continue on in Galatians 3 uh, just for a few minutes. Uh, let me let me continue reading, and, and we'll see a couple other things that I think are important about the gospel. So Galatians 3, 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, then understand that the ones who have faith, these are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaim the good news in advance to Abraham, and you, all the nations, will be blessed. So then... The ones who have faith are blessed together with Abraham who believed. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Now it is clear that no one is justified in the sight of God by the law, because the one who is righteous will live by faith. But the law is not from faith, but the one who do, does these things 
will live by them. So, Adam, what are some things maybe we would take away from this next section in Galatians related to the gospel? Yeah, one of the things, and I may mention this when we were looking at Romans, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. I think Paul's use of Abraham as someone who was reckoned, counted, righteous is very, very significant. I mean, it's not significant because I'm saying that. I mean, obviously God's Word does that, so it is. But think about it this way, especially in the context of Galatians, if the issue is needing to add something to the law and something to the gospel from the law to, to be pleasing to God, to be righteous before God, Abraham then becomes the perfect example of that, does he not? Because here he is in, in, in Romans chapter, excuse me, in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which Paul will say 400 years before the law was even given. We read in the text, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I think we can point out about Abraham as the example that Paul uses here to, again, just reiterate, it is not by this concept of works of the law, but it's by God's, I'm going to use the word, faithfulness to his people to fulfill his promise uh, through their faith. Yeah, so you have in Romans 4 the, the discussion of Abraham, for example, where one of the points Paul makes there is if you if you work for something, you you earn it in a sense, right? But Abraham didn't earn it, but he trusted in God and it was credited to him, you know, through faith. And here in Galatians chapter three, you also make the point that Paul is saying the law came four hundred years after Abraham, so the law can't come along and nullify, nullify. the promise right. that God made exactly. to Abraham. God's not gonna come in and cancel out his promise to Abraham. So the law has a place, right? And that's a whole nother podcast for another day, I'm sure. But what the law doesn't do is come back and, and cancel anything that God had done with Abraham before. And, and one of the things, I, you might disagree with this. This might be something that we wouldn't completely agree with. But again, this is something you see in Romans chapter 1 that we looked at last time. And I think you see it here again in, uh, in Galatians 3, verse 11. Now, in Romans chapter 1, I believe it's verse 17, it's where Paul is actually quoting from Habakkuk 2, 4, mm-hmm. which is concept of the the righteous will live by faith. Right. But here's the thing about prepositional phrases, and you look at that. It could either be modifying um, righteous mm-hmm. or live. Right. So he's either saying the ones who are righteous uh, will live by faith, mm-hmm. or he's saying the one that's righteous by faith right. will live. Maybe there's some truth to both of that, but I'm not so certain in the context here that there's not as it relates to the gospel, maybe it's relating to the second of these, the one who's righteous by faith will be the one that lives, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you also have that phrase in Romans 1, and and we're getting back into Romans 1 today, but Paul talks about it being from faith to faith. Right. So so one of the common misunderstandings, I think, in some Christians is, and it relates to Galatians 3, is it's almost like we think we're saved by faith, and then we just have to work really hard after that. Um, and we lose sight of faith, and we lose sight of this this concept that all of our lives are supposed to be lived by faith in Christ. And it's not as though we're saved by faith, and all of a sudden, man, I got to just try really hard after this. Now we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should labor and toil, but it's always about trusting in God. And so I think that sometimes we need to be reminded as Christians that that everything that we do should be an act of faith and talking with people. Um, just who are dealing with life decisions, one of the questions I ask him all the time is, what would it look like for you to, to live by faith right now? Right? And, I, and I think we lose sight of that question. It's almost like 
we know that we're saved by faith, but then after that, it just becomes about what we can do and laying out all the options and trying to make the right decisions. But every time, at any point, Paul would even say that what doesn't come from faith is sin, right? And so we're to be people of faith from start to finish, I think is part of the point that Paul's making. And you just used a word right there that I think becomes really significant for what we see in this passage of Scripture, and that's this concept of the people of God. Who are the people of God? You use the word to be a people of faith. Well, who are the people of God? Well, if we trace out the Old Testament, but also through the lens here of what we see in Abraham. So there's this promise to Abraham that we've... It's amazing how much we go back to the Old Testament, how much we go back to the covenant with Abraham, how much we go back to the calling of Abraham and God's dealing with Abraham to where we see Paul maybe taking this theology and seeing it fulfilled in Christ. But there is this promise in the Old Testament in Genesis to Abraham for a God, uh, God's promise to Abraham to make a people for him and to bless the nations through him. And so maybe you see this concept of these people through Abraham uh, brought up again, but then ultimately, I think what we see in the gospel and one of the tenets of, of what we can make sense of here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12 is God is ultimately forming this people through faith in Jesus. Yeah. To, to put a couple things together, so Paul asked them in Galatians 3, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? And the, the obvious answer to that question should be hearing by faith. You go to Romans chapter 8, and Paul basically is, is outlining who are the people of God. And one of the things that he basically says is, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. In, in other words, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not part of God's people. And so put those two things together. You receive the Spirit by faith. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not part of God's people. So God is forming this people for himself who trust in him and who trust in Christ and who are indwelled by his Spirit and then who then will consequently live out the fruit of this Spirit because of the power of the indwelling Spirit at work in us. And so, yeah, I, th I think we don't want to lose sight that in the gospel – this people is being formed for God. And so we go back again to the importance of the church, for example, and how the church is supposed to be people who trust in God and live led along by the Spirit, I think, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8. You know, as we're sitting here doing this podcast, there's been multiple times that I've thought about things that I've said or instances in the church. And really, this has probably been really good therapy for me because I begin to think about, you know what, I think I know why some of those people didn't like me very much, you know, <laughs> because I said this this way. In all seriousness, though, I was thinking about that as it relates to the people of God and having His Spirit, and you're not His, you're not his person, you're not of His people if you don't have His Spirit. So one of the things I would say as we think about church membership, and by that I'm meaning, I'm meaning local church membership, there's a sense in which the church decides who's a member of the church and who's not. Mm -hmm. But I would say to people all the time, in, in a real sense, we can, say, we can say this person is a part of the church, this, this person is a part of the a, a people of God, but in a real sense, uh, doesn't matter what we say, if someone by faith in Christ hasn't been redeemed and doesn't have the Spirit in them, we can say it all day long, but that doesn't actually make them a part of the people of God. That doesn't make them part of the church. So in a, in a very real sense, if we're not careful, and maybe I'm going way past what we want to talk about today, we're not thinking about gospel issues in church membership 
Perhaps we end up proclaiming to someone they're actually a part of the people of God and a part of this people of God, and it doesn't matter if we say it or not, it doesn't actually make it true. Yeah, so one of the things that happened to me early on in ministry is, so we, we, we did VBS every year, and one of the things that I realized pretty early on in ministry is if I cared about baptism numbers, VBS was the week to get that done. And I, and I began to realize really quickly that, you know, you can proclaim the gospel to kids, and I mean, this is a sound maybe worse than I mean it, but sometimes it's not that hard to get them to say the right things and to want to be baptized. Um, and so one of the things I really began convicted of, and, and this is hopefully to tie all this together, so if the gospel, if people who believe in the gospel are filled with the Spirit of God, one of the things that you see in Acts is how do they know who to baptize? Well, sometimes it's, it's you, you know, you even see them going to these new areas as the gospel goes forth into Samaria. And these Jewish people are having to deal with the fact of, okay, are these Samaritans being saved? One of the things that you see is the apostles begin to realize it's evident that they've received the Spirit. So their baptism, in an effect, is just confirmation, and the apostles begin to say, well, goodness who gracious. Who are we to withhold baptism yeah. from those who have had the Spirit pulled out Exactly. Pulled out if God them. gave them the Spirit just like he gave us the Spirit, then who in the world am I to say that we can't baptize them? Right. And so I really begin to be convicted there to say, again, one of the things that we're looking at is not just people who are willing to repeat a prayer after us, but we're looking for people who are changed by the indwelling of the Spirit of God in them. So this, even in the life of my kids, for example, one thing I'm not looking for is, are they just willing to agree to want to be baptized? Or can they give me a, a proclamation of the gospel, which, which a demon could do, right? But is it evident that the Spirit of God has indwelled them and that God has done a work in their lives? And in that sense, we're just affirming the work that God has done, um, not trying to get them to do some work on their own. Man, I, yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, there is a debate right now of, you know, how long should you wait? Should yeah. you baptize someone immediately? Should you not? And that's probably more than we want to get in today. But I would say, here's what I feel like I can, I can, I can definitively state. It, it, that uh, baptism, not what we were saying before, not saying necessarily it's a salvation issue, but it is a gospel issue. Mm-hmm. It does relate to how we think about the gospel and the effects of the gospel. Well, Charlie, I know you've asked me to kind of lead us through this and, and pull out the things that I see that are important, and I know we're probably running low, late on time again, but one other thing I would say, perhaps as a comparison contrast, just as a final thought here in, in connection to what we saw in Romans 1. In Romans 1, we ended with this discussion of the gospel implying or being founded on the righteousness of God. Right. And part of that implication was we asked the wrong question. How can a loving God send anybody to hell? But really, the better question in the gospel is how, how, can, how can anybody be forgiven, uh, be made right, redeemed with a righteous God? Right. Well, I, certainly I'm not saying that Galatians disallows the righteousness of God, but to me it seems like it, it, it pairs it, it pairs the gospel uh, with something else that comes alongside the righteousness of God, and perhaps that's the faithfulness of God. Yeah. And maybe it's not said explicitly here, but it's certainly implied. This overarching, and we've seen it throughout, of what God has promised beforehand, 
what God did in Abraham to have a people for himself, ultimately the gospel is the, is the showing and the bringing about of the faithfulness of God. God can be trusted yeah. with his promises and with the good news. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose it's not the worst thing in the world that two pastors have a hard time keeping conversations about the gospel under 30 minutes. But um, as we do <laughs> kind of wrap up, yeah, I think that's a good note for us to end on that, that, that people who believe the gospel are people who look at what God does and say it's right and people who look at God and say he is faithful, faithful. and who, who trust in the faithfulness of God even when we look around at the world around us and it doesn't seem to make sense and God seems to be delayed in his promises that's something you can see all throughout the Old Testament where God doesn't always keep his promises in our timing uh, but he does keep his promises and so the gospel demonstrates that to us I mean think about again just this promise to Abraham how long did Abraham have to wait in his life how long after the life of Abraham does, we, does he have to wait for this, this true seed of Abraham, Jesus, to come along? But yet, no matter how long the wait was, God proves himself and to be And even faithful. thinking about the author of the book of Hebrews, really what he's trying to convey in chapter 11. Mm-hmm. And how does he end that, right? They were waiting. They were, right. they were still looking for yep. this fulfillment of the promise of God, looking for a better city, as it were. Right. But that doesn't mean God is not faithful. As a matter of fact, it absolutely points to the fact that they trusted and we should too and proclaim the faithfulness of God. Absolutely. We can trust just like just like they did. So I appreciate you taking time to walk us through Galatians chapter 3. I hope it's been helpful uh, to think through some of the, the nature of the gospel and some of the things that we can learn about the gospel from uh, Galatians chapter 3. So we look forward to continuing these discussions and uh, soon at least beginning to, to put together uh, some theology of the gospel and then eventually getting into some of the practical implications for uh, pastoral ministry today. So thanks for joining us. Uh, We look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.